Paws, claws, and wet noses is officially a teenager. Welcome to episode 13 of Paws, Claws, and Wet Noses, celebrating all creatures, great and small, and their fantabulous professionals who look after them all. I'm your host, Julie South, and today we're looking at reference checking. Why you should do it, even when you think you can't spare the time. What questions to ask. What answers might raise some red flags, what to do with those red flags, and what you can and cannot do in relation to reference checking and New Zealand law. In God's own Aotearoa, New Zealand, there are some things you absolutely cannot do in relation to reference checking, potential new recruits, and things that you absolutely must do. Reference checking is protected and or governed by three different Acts of Parliament here in God's Own. It's covered under the Employment Relations or protected under the Employment Relations Act 2000, the Human Rights Act 1993 and the Privacy Act 2020. We'll take an in-depth look at the nine reference check questions I always ask every referee and I'll explain the types of answers or responses that raise red flags and then how I handle those. I'll explain why I ask the questions I do and how I accuracy check some of the answers I'm given from referees. I'll also explain why a no to the question, would you hire this person again, might not be the deal breaker you expect it would be. We'll also quickly look at some reference checking that's fallen foul of the law and ended up in court. Hi, this is Julie South and you're listening to Paws, Claws and Wet Noses, the Kiwi Veterinary Sector Podcast. If you're a Kiwi veterinary professional, then stay tuned because this show is for you. Each week's podcast is purpose-built to help you grow your veterinary business, yourself, or your life. You can find all the show notes and links mentioned in today's show at pawsclawswetnoses.fm. Reference checking. Yes, I know it can take a long time. Yes, I know that you're busy. Yes, I know the candidate was charming, otherwise you wouldn't have gotten them this far. And yes, you want them starting today, but yesterday would have been even better. Yep, I get all of that. I'm with you. Especially when you're racing the clock and really they were absolutely charming. But seriously, failing to reference check new employees means that you're playing a game of Russian roulette. And are you that brave or stupid? And when it comes to reference checking, asking the wrong people can land you in hot water and failing to ask the right questions can leave your clinic vulnerable and at risk. I've heard of a few hiring regret stories, mostly because the job seeker was positively charming and it was decided they didn't need to run reference checks. 
I cringe every time I hear that an employee has been hired without reference checks being done ahead of the job offer or a job offer has been made without satisfactory reference checks being done. Yep, I know it takes time and you're busy and the candidate was charming like I said before and you want them starting today and it's tempting to quit this really important recruitment step. But please, always, always, always take the time, even for just, and that's in air quotes, even for just a one-day locum. If you're ever tempted to skip the reference check stage, perhaps it's just for a one-day locum assignment, remember that your clinic's reputation is at stake. And by default, that means yours is as well. The questions that you ask or don't ask in a reference check could come back to haunt or bite you. Reputations are at stake. And you and your clinic have worked hard to earn your great reputations, excellent reputations that can be damaged really fast with one bad hire because reference and background checking was considered unnecessary. Reference checking is the one thing I absolutely dig my heels in about with clients. I've been told often not to worry about reference checking because no one is going to provide a referee who's going to give them a bum reference, so what's the point? The point is you need to know what questions to ask of whom and what red flags to watch out for from the answers that you receive. I said earlier that you and your clinic have worked hard to earn your great reputations. I've worked hard to earn mine as well. I like to think that I've got a good reputation within the veterinary sector for being honest and having integrity. That means I'll always do the right thing. I'm not going to jeopardise or squander all of that hard work by failing to reference check vet staff's candidates to the clients we work hard to please. And I hope that you're not prepared to risk your or your clinic's reputation either. So please... Reference check everyone, no exceptions. Locums, even for one day. Temps, even for one day. Contractors, even for one day. And permanent hires. I recommend that you have different types of questions depending on the position that you're filling. And by this, I mean that it's highly unlikely, for example, that you'll need to know what a practice manager's clinical or surgical skills are like. But for nurses and veterinarians, those types of questions need to be asked. Similarly, some roles are client-facing and some aren't. However, in saying that, I just want to differentiate between internal and external clients because I know that some managers, rightly so, work on the principle that all positions in any organisation must be client-focused. And that's true. But for the sake of clarity here, I'm going to separate clients, which are external, from teams, which are internal. Therefore, I always ask all referees team-based questions about the candidate. But only those candidates whose positions have direct interaction with a clinic's clients are asked the client-based questions. Here at VetStaff, we start our reference check process online. I've coded a form into the back end of VetStaff's website that, even if I say so myself, is pretty sophisticated. It has branching type questions, which means that depending on how one question is answered, affects which question that leads to next. 
If any answers leave me with more questions, then I'll get in touch with the referee and ask for elaboration. If you're asking the questions in person, that is, not online or digitally, then you'll need to allow an uninterrupted 45 to 60 minutes per referee. I know that sounds a lot. Remember, this is an investment. I always give referees the choice to answer online or for us to do this over the phone. I let them know I'll need between three quarters of an hour and an hour of their time. When referees want to do it over the phone, I complete the answers on our reference check for them and send them a copy for their records. So I'm doing the typing as they're doing the talking. For each applicant, always each of the, always ask each of their referees the same questions and guarantee them, this is really important, guarantee them 100% confidentiality in relation to their questions and their applicant. Reassure the referee that the job seeker is not going to know what was said about them by anyone. Once I was reference checking a candidate who was absolutely charming, and it was one of those situations where the clinic told me not to worry about reference checking. I dug my heels in. We were about to make the job offer. The clinic was worried that the applicant would get a better offer and they'd miss out. Of course, that's always possible, especially if the applicant hasn't been 100% upfront with you that they are actively applying for other positions. The clinic and I compromised. We made the job offer subject to satisfactory reference checks being obtained. As well as not wanting to miss out on this particular applicant, they were panicking because the incumbent was leaving in a fortnight and they wanted the appointee to start ASAP. The practice manager wasn't particularly happy with their compromise but agreed anyway, telling me that she looked forward to being able to say, I told you so, later. And as you'll hear when we go through the questions that I always ask referees, one of my always ask questions is around lateness and absenteeism. What the reference checking uncovered was that our applicant always ended up using all of their sick leave and then had to take more sick leave without pay each year. It turns out that they had a medical condition that they never told us about that would have been made much worse by working in the fast-paced, high-stress world of this particular veterinary clinic. Because the applicant's health and safety would have been at risk or compromised, we had to rescind the job offer on the grounds of health and safety. I shudder to imagine just how that would have turned out if we hadn't uncovered this when we did. It would have resulted in lots of heartache and grief for both the clinic and their new employee. As you can see, doing reference checks aren't necessarily about uncovering poor performance. Other things can come to light as well that could put the applicant at risk. If you're going the manual over the phone method of reference checking, then make sure you pre-print your questions ahead of time with enough space for your handwriting. You want reference checks from the person's immediate manager. And if that's not public knowledge that your candidate is looking for their next professional move, then ask for their former manager. How they respond to you requesting another direct report, manager's name is important. For me, 
When someone's a bit cagey or slow in getting details to me, the first red flag has been raised in my head. I'm wondering, is there a problem here or is life just getting in the way? Whilst most reference check questions will be open-ended, that is a who, what, why, how, when and where type questions, there are a few yes, no, A, B, this, that type questions that you must always ask as well. Once you have the yes, no or A, B answer, then ask for elaboration. In addition to the technical competency questions, which VET staff has separate, always evolving questionnaires for, here are my nine must-ask questions of referees that are black and white, clear-cut type questions. They reveal a lot and will start alarm bells ringing if there's due cause and will provide the opportunity for you to fact-check against an applicant's CV. Here they are in no order of priority. Number one, what dates or period did the applicant work for you? If they're unable to give dates, not everybody knows when people started or finished working at a company, then ask them to give you a rough time frame. If the dates or the durations don't line up with what the job seeker told you, ask the candidate's permission for you to request a certificate of service with their former employer. If they deny this request then you want to con- and you want to continue with the applicant, then keep asking why until you're satisfied with their answer. You want to know why there was a discrepancy with what the referee told you and what the candidate has told you. Question number two, would you hire this candidate again? If the answer to this question is anything other than affirmative, you want to know why. Why wouldn't they hire them back? Keep asking open-ended questions until you're absolutely satisfied you can live or not with the reason why not. In most cases, you'd expect when a former manager said that they wouldn't rehire again that you wouldn't want this person on your team either. But keep asking questions because you might find out the reason for the no is something that you can live with. For example, I know one practice manager who, out of principle, will not hire former team members. It's got nothing to do with the performance or otherwise of the person concerned and just because that's a rule he lives by. His personal philosophy is never go back. And in his opinion, rehiring a former team member is a backward step, not a forwards one. Therefore, on principle, he'll never rehire. So it's about him, not your next new hire. Question number three. Have you ever had reason to doubt the candidate's integrity, honesty, professionalism, ability or skills? This time you're looking for a negative answer. You're looking for a no, that they've had no reason whatsoever to question the person. If they have, you want to know what happened how that came about, and what the outcome was. Question number four. Were there any issues or concerns such as lateness or absenteeism? I mentioned earlier an example of where this question revealed a serious medical condition the candidate had failed to mention. 
even though plenty of opportunity was given. You'd be surprised at just how revealing answers to this question can be. It's pretty good at revealing high usage of sick leave or lack of time management skills. So always ask that question. Question number five. What type of management or leadership style does the candidate respond to best? Once you know the answer to this, you can reassess whether the new hire will fit with the manager they're going to be reporting to. If your manager is a micromanager and the new hire works best with lots of freedom, then that could cause some tension after a while. Are you ready for this? Can you handle this? What will the fallout be for other team members with this tension? Question number six. Why did they leave? And does this answer match what the candidate told you? If not, why not? Where's the discrepancy? Who's telling the truth? Or who hasn't told the whole truth? Question number seven. What were their responsibilities? Does this sound right to you? Does it match what they told you or what you knew? Has the candidate over or undersold themselves? And you might be wondering, why might someone want to undersell themselves? Well, situations could be, especially in today's market, where some people have been made pandemic redundant, because they don't want you to see them as being overqualified or overexperienced for the job, because you'll think they'll get bored and leave. Or that maybe they're looking for any job so that they've got a job when they start looking for their next one. Because it's easier to find a job when you've got one to start with. So always ask what their responsibilities were. Question number eight. Would you describe them as proactive or a placeholder employee? I use this question to identify whether, in the case of, in the case of client-facing roles, like veterinarians and nurses, that they're proactive, or not, about booking in client follow-up appointments and procedures. Or do they have the attitude that the next vet can deal with the problem on their next visit? In relation to office and back admin type roles, this question helps tweak out whether they helped the team and or clinic grow and expand. Or did they just do their job and collect their pay each fortnight without adding any kind of value at all? Can you live with the answer? Is the answer a good fit for your team? And lastly, question number nine of my always ask. Who else would you recommend I speak with about the candidate? This question can be very enlightening, especially if the candidate, candidate denies your permission to speak with that person, which I have encountered before. And just so you know, New Zealand privacy laws prohibit you from seeking a reference without the person's consent first. This means if you're given another name to this question, you must first ask the candidate their permission to talk with the second person about them. If they decline, ask why. And are you okay with that answer? 
Paws, Claws and Wet Noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vet Staff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vet Staff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vet Staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz Now let's look at the different laws that kick in and apply to reference checking. Keeping the Privacy Act 1993 front and foremost in your mind when you're making reference checks is always a good idea because this can come back to bite you in a big way if you fall foul of it. The Privacy Act means that you must make sure that the information you're collecting doesn't intrude unreasonably on the applicant's personal affairs. You must take care with any pre-employment health screening For example, you can't use this to discriminate against applicants with a disability where this is not a listed exception in the Human Rights Act 1993. The information you're requiring must be relevant to the proper and safe performance of the job and, if your decision is not to hire, you must be able to prove it was for health and safety reasons and not discrimination on other grounds. Onus is on you, not on them. Also, under the Privacy Act, authorization from the job applicant is required to access or release personal information about them. Accordingly, the person seeking the reference must have the authority, so that you, you're doing the reference checking, you must have the authority of the applicant to do so. In providing this authorization, the candidate must also be informed as to the nature of the information being sought and the use to which it will be put. What if an applicant didn't get the job and they're worried the referees let them down? What are their rights if they want to know what a referee said about them? Or what if... You're an agency like vet staff or a practice manager and you want to protect a referee from a disgruntled applicant who might be threatening to sue. Well, in those cases, that's where Principle 6 of the Privacy Act kicks in. Under Principle 6 of the Privacy Act, a job applicant is entitled to access personal information an agency holds about them, but not always. Section 291B says an agency may refuse to disclose personal information that is evaluative material. If disclosing it or information identifying its source or both would breach a promise to keep the information or the identity of the source confidential. Evaluative material Those are the terms. Evaluative material is described in section 29.3 as information compiled solely for the range of purposes and where there is a common purpose in the supply and receipt of that information. 
In other words, the information needs to be gathered solely for that purpose. There needs to have been a promise made to the referee about withholding the identity or the information in confidence and that promise must have been clear to the referee when they make the decision whether or not to supply the information. We have this statement in the first contact that we make here at Vet Staff with our referees. So that's our back covered. This typically applies where an employer requests a letter of reference from a referee nominated by a job applicant. It's important to be aware that this does not apply to unsolicited information. For example, unsolicited complaints about an employee by a disgruntled client cannot be withheld under this provision. Section 29 of the Privacy Act allows for people to be able to give free and frank references about people. So, for example, that would be a disgruntled client giving feedback or a review, if you like. It also means potential employers are more likely to value the information that they hear. This can protect people from possible repercussions or awkwardness and protects current and future relationships. Many people would also refuse to give references if they did not have confidentiality or the ability to speak honestly. A job applicant has the right to ask to see the file you have on them. However, if you have guaranteed confidentiality to referees, like we do here at VetStaff, and the referee has provided the reference in good faith that their information will remain confidential from the candidate, then you can either ask the referee for their permission to release this information, and I've done that before, or provide your file to the candidate without any referee information in it, or the referee info has been redacted. It's a good idea to get permission to contact referees from the applicant as early in the selection process as possible. And here at Vet Staff, we ask for three referees right at the beginning. It's on our registration form, which applicants are asked to complete, sign, and then date. All our forms are set up for digital signing. Some employers carry out pre-employment criminal record or police checks on prospective employees, particularly for positions of trust or authority, for example, in cash handling. A criminal record can only be carried out with the written consent of the job applicant in accordance with the Privacy Act 1993. An employer can request a copy of someone's criminal record, but only if that person completes and signs the Ministry of Justice's form, which is available at justice.gov.nz forward slash services forward slash criminal dash records, including section one of the form, which gives authority for the information to be released to a third party. Many job application forms ask whether the applicant has any convictions or pending criminal charges. If a criminal record check is to be done, it's a good idea to notify job applicants by including a statement to this effect on the form. 
because of the time it takes, which is 20 working days, only consider undertaking criminal record checks for positions that really require them and do it at the beginning of the process because you've got 20 days that it could take. For example, do them for cash handling or other accounts-based roles. Later in this show, I'll share a case study about what happened when an applicant hadn't answered any criminal records question honestly and got found out. And just so you know, under the Criminal Records Clean Slate Act 2004, job applicants with only certain minor convictions that didn't result in a prison sentence do not have to declare their criminal record seven years after their last conviction. If a criminal record check is carried out, any convictions covered by the Clean Slate Slate Scheme will be concealed. Hopefully, it goes without saying that clinics will check immigration status of new employees as well. Under the Immigration Act 2009, it's an offence to employ someone knowing they are not entitled to work in New Zealand. You can't use ignorance as an out. Merely not knowing a person was not entitled to work here won't cut you any slack if you're employing someone who's not legally entitled to work here. Employers should therefore take reasonable precautions that's the term, reasonable precautions, and exercise due diligence to find out whether the person is entitled to work. This could involve checking the person's passport and taking a copy of the passport and any relevant visa for the record. Immigration New Zealand has a free online database to help employers check the status of of prospective employees before you offer them a job. It's called Visa View, one word, Visa View. And employers must register first to use the database, and you do that using your iGov registration info. And an easy way to find that information is on your clinic's ACC payment notices. Visa View allows registered New Zealand employers to check whether a person who is not a New Zealand citizen is allowed to work for them in New Zealand. It also allows registered employers to confirm New Zealand passport information provided by the job seeker and therefore confirm New Zealand citizenship and entitlement to work in any job. Now let's talk about referees and choosing them. I always let job applicants know when I'm about to contact their referees so they can give them the heads up to expect to hear from me. Here are five things that I'd like you to think about when asking someone to provide you with a reference. Number one is you always want an immediate or direct report or manager reference. Unless you're applying for your very first job and you've never worked before, an an employer or a recruitment agency like Vetstaff will always want to have a reference from your immediate manager. If you're not prepared to provide one at that level, eyebrows will be raised. Number two, choose your referees wisely. If you're going to DIY your own job hunting and not use an agency like Vetstaff, your referees are going to be called multiple times. 
Every time you apply for a job, that clinic will call them. The novelty of being your referee could wear thin very fast if you're unsuccessful or you decline positions you've been offered. So think about that. Another reason for using vet staff. Point number three to consider is let your referees know what you're doing, especially if you're only applying for jobs sporadically. Here and there, when you see a position that you think you might like, as opposed to being proactively and hunting all the time. If you're successful with your application, then it's polite to thank your referees. Or if you've decided to stay put for a while, let them know. Keep in touch with your referees because it's the right thing to do. Point number four, ask them first. No one is obligated to provide a reference for you. That's a two-way street. You have to give them your permission. They have to give you theirs. So make sure that you do ask for their permission. If you don't, it creates a bit of an uncomfortable position. And I've had it. It's that situation where you ring up a referee and they're surprised that you're calling because they had no idea their name had been put forward as a reference. Last point. Number five, mutual trust. If you don't get the job, and not all applicants get the position they're going for, then you want to be able to know it wasn't because your referee threw you under the bus. Of course, if you don't get the job, think seriously before you decide to take action against your referee. It's not unheard of for people to sue referees. It's really sad when it happens, but it's not unheard of. If you're thinking like that, please Think about it first, because it's not going to look good for you if word gets out and God's own Aotearoa New Zealand is a small place and the veterinary sector is an even smaller subset here. So please, it's not going to look good for you if word gets out that you hold grudges or grievances. If you think you are hard done by, use a different referee the next time around. Now, I promised you some case studies. So let's look at those. In the case of negligence for an inaccurate reference, this is the UK case of Spring versus Guardian Assurance PLC 1994 and is currently the leading case on duty of care when employers provide employment references for former employees. When a potential employer asks the company in this case, Guardian Assurance, for a reference for Mr. Spring, the company alleged he was selfish, lacked team spirit, lacked honesty, was in debt to the company and was incompetent. As a result of this damaging reference, Mr. Spring obviously didn't get the job. He obviously took umbrage at that, as is understandable. The court found that the reference was inaccurate and it was held that an employer who supplies an inaccurate reference can be liable in negligence 
to the person for whom it was supplied. The moral of the story here, always tell the truth and make sure you keep records that aren't going to embarrass anyone if they're made public, because they could be. In regards to privacy, let's look at this case study. A job applicant had provided a written reference and also nominated several other referees to a prospective employer. The employer phoned all of the referees and also the person who'd given the the written reference. The woman didn't get the job and complained to the privacy commissioner that contacted the person who'd given her a written reference breached her privacy. However, the commissioner felt that the purpose of providing the written reference was to allow the employer to assess her suitability for the job. Contacting the person who wrote the reference and telling them she had applied for a job was directly related to this. That was back in 2002 and came out of the office of the Privacy Commissioner. And here's a case study that relates to starting work before checks have been completed. And this is in the case of Mr. Bourne and Carter Holt Harvey in 2011. Mr. Bourne was offered permanent work after initially working for the company through an agency. He completed an application form that advised, you should ensure that the information you provide is entirely accurate. The provision of false information is grounds for dismissal if your application is successful. He answered no for the question, have you ever been convicted of a criminal offence? And signed a declaration that the information given in the form was true to the best of my knowledge. He was offered a job conditional on medical and drug tests and criminal record checks. The company didn't apply to the Ministry of Justice for a criminal record check until a week after Mr. Bourne had started his permanent job. The check revealed five convictions, the last of which was for willful damage for which Mr. Bourne received a suspended sentence. Carter Holt Harvey dismissed Mr. Bourne for misrepresentation of personal information. The Employment Relations Authority determined that Carter Holt Harvey was entitled to invoke the expressly conditional nature of the employment. The authority determined that the company had acted as any fair and reasonable employer would have done in their circumstances and the dismissal was justified. The authority noted that since this case, the company had found it safer not to offer employment until it had received a response from the Ministry of Justice about criminal convictions. However, the authority said that no criticism could be made of the company's preparedness to trust a job applicant to give the correct information and allow the person to begin employment without delay. And that's because trust is required to be a foundation of any employment relationship. I'll put the sources of these 
on the pause clause wetnoses.fm show notes page if you're interested in looking at them. Now, references. I recommend that you outsource rather than skip. So now you've heard a bit about what's involved in reference checks. Hopefully, you've got that background checking is far too important to skip or gloss over. And if you've ever worked in a team with a wrong hire, you'll know the grief, the stress and the angst that one misfit person can cause. If it's not something you want to do yourself and or you just don't have the time for it, then consider outsourcing this part of your recruitment process, especially if you're a smaller independent clinic because the chances are high there's no one person tasked with the job of doing background checks at your place. If you're the practice manager of an independent clinic, you'll be wearing many hats and recruitment will be just one of those that you wear. The costs, the legal, lost opportunity, reputational and distraction of disciplinary action far outweigh the investment of outsourcing background checking candidates. Experienced professionals know what they're doing and what red flags to be alerted to. Vet staff can be contracted to complete this step of the recruitment process for you. Because we're local, we understand New Zealand employment law and Kiwi veterinary clinic requirements. If this sounds like something you'll find helpful, then please get in touch with me, Julie, on 0800 483869. I'll make sure that my full contact details are on the show notes page at pawsclawswetnoses.fm as well. So let's quickly summarise eight of the things that we've covered today. Number one, background and reference checking is an essential step in the recruitment process. Number two, choose your referees wisely, especially if you're going to do the job hunting yourself because it means that your referees are going to be called multiple times by multiple people. Remember, it won't take long for your shiny halo to start dimming. Number three, respect and protect people's privacy. The law will likely be on their side, not yours. You can't just start chatting about a potential new hire with your mate at the tennis club who knows them. You need their permission, otherwise it's an invasion of their privacy. Number four, ask for the information you need and nothing else. If you don't need to credit, police or criminal background check, then don't. Number five, ask the right questions and keep asking until you're satisfied you've got the truth. Not everything is as it seems on the first pass. Number six, reference check every new hire, even for just a one-day locum assignment. This is so important. Please, everyone. Number seven, remember that reference checks protect your and your clinic's reputation. See them as an investment of your time. 
Lastly, number eight, if you don't have the time or other resources to background check and reference check, then outsource to someone who does. It's an investment, not a cost. Thank you for listening to Paws, Claws and Wet Noses. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on Apple, if that's where you're listening. It makes such a difference in helping others find the show. I'm sure you know how the algorithms work. And we especially love six out of five star reviews. If you like listening to Paws, Claws and Wet Noses, you can subscribe to wherever you're listening to this episode by clicking the subscribe button on Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio and all the others. That way you'll never miss a future episode. And if you have a topic you'd really like to have covered on an upcoming episode, please let me know and I'll schedule it in. Paws, Claws and Wet Noses is sponsored by Vetstaff. If you've never heard of Vetstaff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vetstaff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vetstaff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz